Hey there, fellow listeners. It's Jackie. If you're listening to the Premier Shells podcast, have you ever wondered what time do we record this podcast at? Usually we're up deep into the early hours of the morning when our homes are asleep and quiet. Rahul, can you tell our listeners how we managed to stay awake to do this? A lot of coffee, but it has to be good coffee. We only drink the very best in kickoff coffee. If you've not heard of them, they're a coffee company for soccer fans whose mission is to celebrate the beautiful game through top quality roasted coffee. Each bag you purchase actually helps support grassroots soccer in the U.S. and Colombia. To get yourself a bag today, head over to kickoffcoffeecoat.com and use our code TPCOFFEE5 for 5% off your order. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, I have Rahul here from Connecticut, and Alex from Waterville, Maine. Guys, I should be more excited, I should have a little more passion in my voice, but it's been a tough weekend, I'm not going to lie, but Rahul, how are you doing? I've been better, like you said, it's been a tough weekend. Uh, and I'm glad it's ending tonight because tomorrow's a new day and a new week and we go again. Alex, your thoughts? <laughs> Not a fun time. I said a couple, uh, I think probably just a week ago, I said it's an exciting time to be a Chelsea fan. Well, right now it's a scary time to be a Chelsea fan with, with what's gone on and the importance of the games we have ahead. Scary indeed. So we'll jump right into it. We had two finals to play this weekend, both on the men's side and the women's side, the men's FA Cup women's Champions League finals and unfortunately Chelsea took a loss in both and so we come back to Stamford Bridge we come back to Chelsea home grounds with no silverware but we'll start with the FA Cup review because we need to go through it anyway we Chelsea played Leicester we ended up losing one nail Rahul why don't you take us through the starting lineup and maybe a few key moments Kepa in goal like we had said uh, he was going to be rewarded for the run Reese James, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger played as the three center backs, which meant Espelicueta pushed up uh, into the right wing back position. Angola Conte, Jorginho, and Marcus Alonso, uh, Ziyech Mount, and Timo Werner. So that made the starting 11, which in itself was a, a discussion point and a critical um, you know, thing because a lot of fans on Twitter and Instagram disagreed with some of these choices. So I think that's the first place we need to be starting off the discussion. Yeah. Uh, so let, let me get your thoughts, Alex. What did you make of this 11 and should Pulisic have started? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the key thing I was thinking, especially especially after we've seen him be benched in a few of these important games. Um, and rightly so, it, it came it came into some criticism and it's, it's tough because I sort of had a, I had a bad feeling when he played the entirety of the Arsenal match. I don't think he would have gone 90 minutes if Tuchel was planning to start him against Leicester in this final. Um, so I, I already did have a bad feeling about that, but yeah, you, you, frankly, I think he's, he's simply our most dynamic attacking player when he's on form and even if every week he doesn't drop a masterclass, you need him on the pitch to be able to make an impact. And I say he's our most dynamic because maybe, I mean, maybe you could argue an inform Havertz is, is alike to him in that he can dribble, um, he can pass, he can shoot, and he's willing to take players on probably in a, in a manner that even Havertz doesn't quite have in his game. It's, it's something that just really combines the skill sets of a lot of our different attackers. 
I, I would struggle to see why he did not start. Yeah, the risk of sounding biased. I think I agree with you, Alex, but I'll go even further and say, I think on his day, Pulisic is probably our best player behind maybe a Mason Mount or a Conte. So he's probably up there in the top three. And he's got the pace that I, I think sometimes a Kai Havertz lacks. So it's definitely frustrating. And again, guys, I think if we won this game, our tongues would be bitten, nobody would be talking, but we need to break it down, obviously. And I'm going to call it Tinkerman Tuchel. And Raul, I want to bring you in here for Tinkerman Tuchel's changes he made. Reese James traditionally is a more attacking right wing back. And that's a huge position that we are familiar with. I mean, we've struggled. He played Callum Hudson-Modoy there. He's played Aspilicueta, Reese James. I think a couple of other players has played there as well. In this particular game, he ends up swapping Aspilicueta and Reese James. Reese James going into your right center back and Aspilicueta taking the right wing back position. Comments on that one? I thought it was a, a smart move. You know, you could see the benefits of having a faster, a stronger Reese James up against Vardy uh, and Nacho, who didn't really play as the, the two that they've been doing. Nacho was a little bit deeper, but uh, throughout that first half and even in the second half, James and Vardy had a good tussle and James kept coming out on top up until that one point where, you know, he obviously made a mistake, but I think he did very well in that position. And, uh, I was, in fact, happy to see Tuchel realize that, you know, James could fit in, in as a center back, which we wouldn't have thought. But personally, thought that was a good decision. Uh, now, obviously, the goal comes from a, a James mistake, you can say. But I don't think he put a foot wrong apart from that. So sticking on the Tinkerman Tuchel theme here, Alex. So, you know, Rahul's made some great points on James playing as a right center back and Tuchel maybe noticing the speed of Vardy and Iheanacho and James having that strength maybe to put them up. But do we lose something going forward with Aspilicueta as a right wing back? Yeah, definitely. You're not, you're not quite maybe taking full advantage of that position as we've, as we've played it at our best, because when we're on top and we're dominating teams, and I mean, this game, we had what? We had 64% possession. Um, when we're having that majority of possession, we, we had, I think we had twice the passes of Leicester. We had more than, we had essentially twice the possession, twice the passes, twice the shots. Um, we were the dominant side over the course of the match. Um, and normally when we dominate a game like that, you see our wingbacks pushing up, getting in great positions, whipping in crosses, even getting involved in the link up uh, and attack in the box themselves. And certainly as Pilaqueta, he's a little more easily exposed, so he doesn't push up quite as far. Um, he doesn't quite have the pace, the dribbling. He's got a good cross on him, um, but we we, abs we absolutely did lose a bit of that uh, attacking dynamism. So I think that was that was not a bad tactical decision, as Rahul said, um, but one that maybe had to be compensated for with, say, you know, a slightly faster player uh, as one of those uh, sort of false nine-ish striker types in the the mountains yet positions that we saw maybe you need um a warner or Polisic playing that role on azpilicueta's side to make up for that lack of pace who knows it was it was a tough one and as you said it's easy to analyze after a loss yeah great some great points you made there and almost i would say if callum had played that position i wonder if we had a little more attacking threat going forward but sticking with the wing backs rahul and i think not last episode but the previous one maybe it was the last one you were adamant. And I mean, when I say adamant, you said Ben Chilwell has to start this game. Clearly, Tuchel did not listen. And that's okay. He gets paid to make the decisions. Marcos Alonso comes in, starts in the game. How did he do? 
he was okay, Jackie. I mean, I can't fault him for what went down. Can't really fault any of the players because the goal comes from something that you can't really p- predict and plan for. But when you see Chilwell come on, I forget it was 65th, 78th, whenever it was, he automatically made a difference in our attack. And we're talking about Aspilicueta and how he isn't as attacking as a Reese James. Marcus Alonso is attacking, but when he gets exposed like he did a few times in that first half, he then starts thinking about the defensive side of it, and then our attack suffers. And Ben Chilwell came on and was like, you know what, screw this. I'm going to go forward, bomb forward, get a goal, which he, he did. Um, VAR took it away. But I think he had a lot more energy and attacking vision and strength to come in and do what he did. That is why I was like, he has to start. Uh, that didn't happen. So I think that was another position that easily could have been a stronger player, a more informed player, and it could have maybe gone a little bit different. Right. Yeah, and yeah. He, I don't know if you guys saw as well, he made a comment leading up to the game that there's no game in my career I've wanted to win more than this one. He was clearly, I mean, he was so hyped for the game. He wanted to put put past us the um, our, our other Leicester defeat in the league, uh, previously under Lampard. Um, he wanted to impress against his former club. It was, uh, he was clearly begging, he was filled with motivation. He was begging basically to play this game. He was... Uh, and when you see how good he can be at his best, when you see how how much of an attacking threat he can be, he's he's top quality. And when you have a player who's top quality, he's motivated as much as Chilwell was ahead of that match. I feel like surely you have to start someone with that level of, of personal and just professional motivation and skill to start this game. Yeah, I wonder if Tuchel got in his own head and we'll never know the answer, but the writing was on the wall. Some of these players needed to start. Pulisic, we've mentioned. Ben Chilwell, we've mentioned. Maybe Callum Hudson-Odoi. But there's an elephant in the room that we need to discuss, guys. And it's somebody we've discussed over and over and over again. We've tried to figure out what's going on here. But Rahul, I'll come back to you real quick. And then, Alex, I'll get your thoughts right after. Rahul, Timo Werner led the line. Rahul, you made some interesting statements about when Timo Werner starts. Of the games he started under Tuchel, we've only lost one. Versus when he doesn't start, we've lost three or four, I think is what you said. We've added two now. We've lost two with him starting in the lineup. But what are your thoughts on how he performed that day? He didn't perform. It's just plain and simple. He was the man leading the line. And uh, I don't know what it was. I think at one point, everyone wanted to get a goal. And by when I say everyone, Timo Werner, ZH, and Mount often had shots that easily could have been laid off to someone else but they decided that they wanted to find the net themselves. And I can clearly vision and see one of those shots Werner took, and it literally just ended up in like Rosette and, and <laughs> Wembley is a huge stadium. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing because he'll turn around and score the winner in the next game or in the next couple of games. And, and then you bite your tongue, like you're saying, and, and you think about it and you're like, well, I mean, 30 goal involvements this season, goals, assists, whatever he's done. But in the key moments when you need a striker, he has failed every single time. And that's that's the the honest truth about him. And it happened again in this game. Yeah, that's it's not easy. I mean, I was I'm no one. I, I You see a lot of armchair analysts after games f- taking freeze frames of different attacking motions and saying, I mean, earlier in the season, it was oh Mason Mount's decision making is horrible. He could have easily played this pass in. He could have played this pass in instead of doing what he did. And it's very easy when you're not in the heat of the moment. You don't have the adrenaline. You've got the 
your, your nice, neat little 11 v 11 overhead view. It's very easy to, to criticize players, but I am, I, even as someone who is very hesitant to do that, looking back at some of the stories I posted during the game, I mean, Mount was lining up one shot from probably 25 yards. It was outside the box near the corner of the box, not a great angle. He had players in front of him and he just pinged a shot, which almost actually bounced, um, in a kind way, I think it hit one of the Leicester center backs and almost fell to Ziek. Um, but then if you, if I then watched that clip through, there wasn't a single defender. Um, I mean, I guess our, our listeners won't be able to hear this one, but there wasn't a single defender next to Hakeem or in front of him. So if he just threads that ball in as a through ball, you have Hakeem in the box, completely open, um, ready to just slot it away. And then with that Werner chance you were describing, it was the exact same thing where a simple through ball to Hakeem Ziyech, who's arriving late in the box, could have put him completely through on goal with an open net at his mercy. And these, these little decisions that we made, it just it did cost us in the end. And I, I agree, I wasn't too uh, impressed with Ziyech perhaps in this performance. But then looking back at those, I realized, you know, if those two players, Werner and Mount, uh, I mean, Mount obviously had some chances of his own uh, later. Not, he didn't have a horrible game, but if those two players get their head up, we could be talking about a Ziyech goal and no one would be saying he had a quiet game. So difficult. Yeah. I mean, that's wonderful analysis there because that's something we don't see maybe as a fan just screaming at the TV for someone to score a goal, but that's great over there. And I think some of the things I'll say about Timo Werner, and this is more holistically at this point, 30 goal involvements for all I think you said, 12 goals so far this season or 13 joint highs goal scoring it just seems like a Torres ish situation I don't think I don't want to compare the two together because I think Timo does have an opportunity to refresh his season next year there's been a lot of change going on in the last year that he's been here but he tries a lot but it just seems like that final decision or that final moment or that final ball that needs to come to his feet like Alex is talking about doesn't always go his way but it's going to get to a point, guys, where maybe the next half of the first season, first part of the season, will say, what else do we need? He needs to start performing on his own. And, and I hate to make this comparison, but almost like a, a Drogba that would take a game by the throat and pull something out of nothing. And, and we know, we know Timo has this. And we don't want to blame Timo because, Alex, as you said, Mount had chances. Ziyech had chances. We were looking to our midfield. We were looking to our wingbacks. And things don't always go as planned. But... Another interesting thing we need to talk about, guys, speaking of top joint goal scorer, was Tammy Abraham. He did not make the squad. Forget the bench. Forget the starting 11. He did not make the squad. Raul, I think you messaged this to me, and you guys can have a quick discussion between you two about what happened here. But in England, there's this word called WAGs, the wives and girlfriends of the football players. And Tammy Abraham's WAG, who shall be unnamed, if you're very interested, please go ahead and look it up yourself posted something online about how she was frustrated that the club's top scorer didn't even make the match day squad. So Alex, why don't you kick this off first and give us your thoughts? Yeah, that was a ridiculous decision in my opinion. There's just no possible way we could, I, how, how do you leave him out? I mean, even, it's it's of course it's so i i hate i hate trying to say oh it's so easy to say after the game it's like i i don't want to want to claim that say timo couldn't do a job we've seen him do stuff in the past 
But you look at those chances um, that he was just blazing shots high and he wasn't quite there. And you see, you say, well, maybe Tammy Abraham, who actually has, he has the ability to maybe not like dribble a defense, but he can beat a man. I think it's, it's one of the goals I was remembering. I believe he scored it against Wolves at one point. He still had a man to beat, tapped the ball around him and then blazed a shot in low and hard. He's in those situations, Werner, we know does not really have the ability to dribble someone. Um, so he, he lined up in that that situation we were talking about, he had a defender or two in front of him and he just ripped it from, from far, which if it flies into the top corner, you're congratulating him. It did not, it flew into the top row of seats. Um, and that's where you say, you know, maybe Tammy Abraham, top scorer, experienced, maybe the pressure is not quite as, as, as heavy on him. He's not getting slandered every week. Maybe a Tammy Abraham has a little more composure. Maybe he finds a pass. Maybe he, he puts a slightly more level-headed shot on net and at least forces a save. You, you do have to say it's crazy that, that Tammy and his known skill set wasn't even in the squad. I mean, that's kind of absurd and just disrespectful, especially it broke my heart seeing a, there was a photo circulating of Mount walking in, uh, walking onto the pitch, and Tammy, uh, Tammy in the background, head down, not dressed for the match, not even in the squad. It's it's brutal to see. And then Tammy's the one out on the field. There's a photo I posted today of him hugging Christian Pulisic, consoling the players after the game that he didn't even get an opportunity um, to be in contention on the bench for. So I, I mean, long-winded response, but I was very displeased. <laughs> yeah. Rahul, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I was baffled too, because yeah, he hasn't played since I believe February 20th. Uh, he's had injuries and had his issues off the field, but he's been back in the squad I think it was the last game of the game before we spoke about how he was picked over Giroud to be on the bench. And we've said, well, he's clearly doing the right things in training. Uh, and then suddenly he gets dropped. And you look at the bench, Jackie and Alex, and I'll, I'll read you the names. Pulisic, Zuma, Mendy, Giroud, Hudson-Odoi, Chilwell, Gilmore, Havertz, and Emerson. And you're thinking we can have two left backs on the bench, but we can't just put another attacking player in Tammy Abraham who could have easily replaced Emerson. Let's be honest. He scored Emerson scored a brilliant goal against Atletico Madrid, but we were going through anyway at that point, like whatever he did didn't, didn't change the, the way that game went. But in this game, Tammy Abraham could have played a role and we had five subs to make. So he could have been one of those subs. We could have brought him on. We could have, done something different we could have thrown all three attacking strikers on I don't know it's just it almost seems like a personal kind of uh, uh, issue with him or maybe he doesn't want to sign a contract and the club saying don't play him that could be it too but either way we're at a point of the season where you need to play your best players and you need to play your attacking players that can get you a goal goals are all that we need at this point I don't care how we do it and no one's going to sit at home and be like, well, we scored an own goal. Like no one cares. If we win a trophy, no one cares. And that's the baffling part is if you need a goal, you could throw on a Tammy Abraham, who's top goal scorer in the FA Cup, guys. His goals are what took us to this point. So that was baffling. And I don't know, it's it's frustrating. And his girlfriend was right in that questioning him, but she shouldn't have done it publicly. I think I said that to you, Jackie, too. And that, that's what frustrates me with family members and friends that, that question a manager. And yes, you can say at us as fans are doing it too right now, but uh, you know, we're not doing it to, to be 
spiteful towards Tuchel. I think we're doing it more after the game that, well, why wasn't he there? He could have won us this game. Yeah, look, just to clarify that point, and I think both the points you guys have made about Tammy is, is spot on. I think we could have had a different outlook on on that spear shape in the front, maybe. Maybe Giroud could have come on, maybe Tammy could have come on, somebody big, tall, strong. Alex has alluded to he could go past players. We are critical here. We talk about changes Tuchel's made. We talk about players. We've talked about Tammy Abraham. Well, you know my thoughts on Tammy and his inconsistencies. But the point I'm trying to look at, and maybe this is a completely different angle to look at it from, his girlfriend in this particular case is somebody who's very, very close to him. And there's a lot of scrutiny on things that she may post regarding the football club, what she does in her personal life or when she's having vacation with Tammy. I don't think people would care. But when she is questioning Tuchel directly, and obviously she's not going up and say, hey, Mr. Tuchel, why did you do this? But when you put a post of that magnitude, similar to what Tiago Silva's wife did a few weeks ago, I think it brings a lot of... Yeah, that's not uh, good. Maybe yeah. maybe this was a little better because she was directly criticizing Warner. <laughs> exactly, right? But this brings a lot of media attention to Chelsea and not in a good way. And that's kind of the point I'm trying to look at is that we already have a lot of stuff going on in this club. Ultimately, we lost that game. And so she's going to be looked at as like, oh, she's right, Tuchel's wrong. And it kind of causes more friction. But some of the things you said, Rahul, it's almost personal. It's easy to say that from the outside, especially when his girlfriend influences that kind of message. But we as fans, we don't know every day what happens in training. Tammy Abraham is a good player, guys. Don't get me wrong. But I don't watch every training session. He may come up with his boots undone and not want to run around the field. He may not be listening to what tactics are being presented to him. I'm not speaking against Tammy. I'm just giving an alternative view here. So it's very difficult to see from our perspective as fans, me personally, that she would post something like that, almost questioning. We're questioning too. I get it. The difference is she's so close to the club being that she's his his girlfriend. I think it causes a little bit of friction there, but obviously she's entitled to her opinions and, and free to do what she wants there. But one thing we need to talk about as well, guys, is we've now lost two FA Cups back to back here. It's an interesting one. It's a tough pill to swallow. Where do we go from here, Alex? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I know I was talking to Rahul earlier about the the new the new banter label of, of Chelsea as the new bottlers, which all I have to say is it's it's very easy for fans of other teams. You know, they can enjoy it. They can they can enjoy Chelsea's loss because frankly, they don't have anything else to enjoy. Their teams aren't in, they weren't in the final to lose it. You need to be Definitely. in a final to have the opportunity to lose it. And I people were pulling out statistics. I think it was I mean, there was some number Chelsea have lost. Who knows? It, it was They've lost a large percentage of, it was something like 16 finals in the last 10 years or something that we'd been in and then we lost a, a large number of those. But we're, we're sitting here and it's like, that, that, that should count for something. It doesn't. I'm not saying we need to stoop to the level of congratulating a second place finish. Um, but it at least is good that we're getting in these positions you just have to question the mentality. And one thing I thought, I didn't want to stir the pot or be be, be too edgy after the game, but uh, Frank Lampard made that comment that this team isn't ready to compete. Um, then Tuchel came in, had a great run of form, and everyone was saying, oh, that's ridiculous. That was just inexperienced Lampard. Ooh, like Tuchel knows we're ready. And then you see some players that did not really look like they were fully mentally there. They didn't look like it was a final of the most prestigious cup trophy in in europe they didn't look like they didn't look like they cared quite enough um and that is you know maybe maybe there was an inkling of truth there and we've seen 
we've seen what we've seen probably four consecutive managers now Chelsea managers say my players are difficult to motivate I don't know if that's excuses but I do feel like something on the mental side isn't quite right. And did you guys see Azpilicueta was getting slandered after the game for smiling in his post-match interview? Yeah, I, I didn't see that. But all the points you made, Alex, are really good as far as maybe they just were not ready, like Lampard said. I hate to say that because it's difficult to see how a player doesn't get motivated for one of the most prestigious cups, one of the most historic cups in England. It's one of those things where I just don't get it. But speaking of being cereal bottlers and being made fun of, Rahul, Thomas Tuchel has now lost another final. <laughs> what do we say about that? It's it's concerning. I was just looking up his record, and he's lost the last three, including this one out of his seven. Uh, and so the article says, if you're a Man City fan, you're you know you get the boost out of this. Uh, and it's concerning because we have another one round the corner, and. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a tough one because you you want to be positive and you want to say, well, you know, Leicester score a wonder goal. It's a strike that you know, if it doesn't go in, then it's still nil nil, and and we can maybe nick it. But it goes in, and then we can't come back into a game, which I think was I was telling you is we've we've not gone back a lot of times. So whenever we have, we struggle to come back into a game, and that's the concerning part. Is City gets so many chances, and I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the fact that they may take the lead and then we struggle, which I don't know how we'll cope with it. Like Alex is saying, it might be a mental block and it might be something that we'll have to get over here in the next two weeks. And like you're saying, if we can't get motivated after losing this final last year for the final this year, you know, against the FA Cup, it's just, it's concerning. Yeah. And I know you were getting ahead of yourself and saying City take their chances and whatnot, but it's a, it's a good segue to talk about Leicester. And a lot of people will say, you know, Leicester deserve this and whatnot. And on the day, scoring the goal, sure. But with all due respect to Leicester, and we don't mean to be rude in any form or fashion, Alex, you've already gone over the stats. We were clearly the team with the most possession, clearly the team with the most chances, clearly the team with the most passes. Do we deserve to win it in those 90 minutes? No, but neither did Leicester. And again, I'm trying to be as respectful as I can to Leicester and so it's something that we need to discuss over here it was a wonder goal I mean it was a fantastic goal but now I want to talk about my favorite subject which is VAR and I don't want to get heated here so I'm trying to stay really calm the Leicester goal is it a handball before it goes in yep easy (laughs) easy I, I believe people were throwing the rule book around Everyone was saying things. One of the things I saw was people were saying, oh, in the attacking phase, it's, oh, if it leads to either directly to a goal or to the creation of a chance that leads to a goal. I don't care about the definition. I think you could read the definition to, there there are enough bullet points in those long-winded definitions that you could read it to support whatever you believe. Personally, visually, I don't care if the ball went off his knee, the ball hits his hand, completely changes path, drops to a player who immediately provides an assist within the next five seconds. Beautiful goal, beautiful strike. But that's even when we say like, okay, we dominated the game. We dominated possession. Chelsea have had games that we've nicked with very low possession, low passes, low shots, low chances. We have those iconic, I mean, that iconic Barcelona victory with the last minute Torres goal. It's, it's not like, it's not like we're, we're angry that a team with lower possession and passes and shots won. It's that, they had, I think I, Rahul was saying maybe earlier, they had a one shot on target 
and that was coming off of off of this controversial incident. So it wasn't like, I mean, I saw people saying this was a Brendan Rogers masterclass, and and like a Tuchel disaster class. Sure, Tuchel got a few things wrong, but this was not a Leicester masterclass in any sense of the word. It was. I mean, a lucky bounce off a hand led to their only shot on target. That's all I have to say. And respect to them for the victory, but we did not deserve to lose. We didn't deserve to win, I agree, but we did not deserve to lose in 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely not a masterclass by Leicester. And again, I'm trying to say this with the most respect to Leicester because I do think they're top quality side. I do think Brendan Rodgers is a wonderful coach, but I don't think that was a masterclass by any means. Rahul, there's a gentleman that doesn't say a sound, doesn't wave hands, always smiling, and that man is N'Golo Kante. When this particular incident happened, N'Golo Kante almost stopped playing for a second and was kind of hopping up and down with his hands in the air. For N'Golo Kante to do that, he saw something clearly that interfered with the play, in this case, the handball. VAR looked at it, and we'll talk about the second VAR incident after this, but says no handball. Alex has gone through it very clearly, but I want to get your, your two cents on it. If we had done this episode like we had planned right after the game yesterday, my I would have been very heated and, and, you know, rightly so. But I've looked at it again. I've seen it a few times and it hits his thigh, hits his arm, definitely changes the direction of the ball. But I'm I'm more concerned by the fact that Reese James plays that pass first. And then no one steps up to close down Tillman's. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to change the topic from the handball. It wasn't given. But there was still an instance to stop the goal from happening. And and Thiago Silva didn't step up. And we were missing Angolo Conte, obviously, in that position. But my concern is how do we let them run up, run up, run up, get the time to take the shot, place it in the top corner, that's more concerning for me. VAR and, and the referees and the decisions we make, we know in England are absolutely horrible. Garbage. Garbage, exactly. The two things that concern me the most out of this are, this wasn't the first time we tried to play a difficult ball when there was an easier option available in this game. And the second thing is no one stepped up to prevent or stop Thielemans from taking a shot, maybe pass it off and we have the chance to regroup maybe a little bit, that's more concerning to me. I I don't want to get caught up in that VAR thing because it wasn't given and we can't cry over it right now. It's almost like you're trying to talk me off the ledge because I was ready to unleash on VAR. No, no, no and, is... and, and you can certainly do that because I'm sure there's a lot of fans out there that have complaints with VAR, and we all do. But at the end of the day, we come into this game into a final for our performance, and yes, VAR is there to... to take the errors out of it but i don't know if this is a hundred percent of an error look i think this is why we do this podcast because it's good to get the perspectives of both of you guys myself and of course we take a lot of information from the fans and people who are tuning in with us and talking to us it's definitely good to see that perspective 100 percent agree doesn't matter what vr is going to do doesn't matter what the referee says we need to be alert and make those blocks and whatnot but i i stand with alex here rahul i think that was a, a garbage decision not only because it happened. When it happened, I wasn't so angry. I said the goal went in because it was a beautiful goal. Credit is to Tillemans. What a strike. I mean, if that wasn't a handball or VAR calling it not a handball, whatever you want to say, we would be applauding that goal no matter what the result because it was an incredible goal and said, yeah, we lost an incredible goal. And that's sometimes you just take it on the chin and go from there. But 
it's the nature of what happened when this goal happened. I said, wow, incredible. Sucks. VR is garbage. I, I have my feelings about VR, but look, Chelsea can still win this game or still come back in this game. Quickly transitioning, we came back in this game. We've already talked about this. Ben Chilwell scored a goal. And now VR comes in and says it's offside. Alex, was it offside? Yeah, I mean, this one's tough. I think the way they drew the lines on VAR, if we want to get down and dirty into this one, the way they drew the lines on VAR, I will say, does look like he is marginally, and I mean by a hair, offside. Um, however, there are also people then pointing at Jorginho. Was it Jorginho who played the pass over the top? Who played the pass? Uh, someone plays the pass over the, the top. There are people pointing at that image and saying the ball is like oblong shaped in that image because it's moving already. Right. It's supposed to be, the photo is supposed to be taken the second the ball makes contact with the foot. So I completely, I do think, I do think he is offside very, very slightly in the by frame. A, by a shot. frame, yeah. But you can question, I mean, he's offside by like a pixel. If you take the frame before that, he might not be offside by a pixel. Then you question whether or not on a call that tight, which has been questioned since the introduction of VAR, whether or not, if it's not visible to the human eye, you need to be throwing up lines on a screen yep. to try to determine this. Because certainly, I think Chelsea, now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of our 4-4 our comeback against Ajax, a very similar situation. Late drama, great passionate celebration, instantly chalked off thanks to var yeah this is this is it does get into to whether people want var in the first place or not what uh, where they want var to intervene and it wasn't so much that var got the call wrong as as var is being used which is to take that screenshot and say is he like the tiniest millimeter offside i think in that screenshot they used he was the tiniest bit offside but if that's the right call the issue is that they 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 then went against us on the other calls. So you had two VAR calls, both of which, I mean, maybe they got one of them wrong and one right, but they got the one right that went against us is right. sort of how I feel. Um, and at that point, it's like if the, the VAR call isn't doing too much, say, on that handball chance, because you say VAR takes the uncertainty out of the game. It's right. going to remove the, the subjective analysis and make sure every call is correct. Well, the VAR call on that handball decision is simply letting another set of people put in their subjective analysis as to whether right. or not it was a handball. Now, I mean, all the points you're making is wonderful here. And, and I want to roll back to a couple of things you said here, which is he was a pixel off, which means the ball was oblong. Well, I mean, a lot of things here. You roll it back a frame, half a frame, a quarter frame, doesn't matter. Ben Chilwell's onside. But the biggest thing you said is if it's not visible to the naked eye, which I must be honest, as garbage as we talk about some of the refereeing decisions are, offsides for the most part, in England, the referees seem to have a pretty damn good handle on it with the naked eye. So we're now getting into pixels, which you're talking about here. And if we're talking about pixels and they're drawing these lines, Rahul, I'll bring you in for a second, but everything I've read about the offside rule is advantage to the attacking team. So now we're talking about Ben Chilwell's hair being a little bit too long and getting offside here. We're going to get into huge debates over this, but let me get your thoughts really quickly before I get too heated. Yeah, th this call is got me heated because we're saying Ben Chilwell's shoulder arm are offside, but it's the same arm that can't score a goal. So what are we saying is offside? He's literally going to go into the net and not swat it because he's got to use his foot or any other part of his body apart from his arms. Yep. But we said his arm is offside, which is the baffling part of it. 
And then we pull out the lines and we're calculating to the exact angle, which this isn't football. That's not what this game is about. We shouldn't have to say, well, we're going to draw two lines on the field while players and fans are celebrating, mind you. I'm jumping around in my living room celebrating this goal. And then all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, oh no, VAR is doing its thing. Right. And that's a frustrating part of it because you're saying, like I said, shoulder, arm, offside, but he can't score with that when he's attacking anyway. So what is offside? Yeah. And that's, that's where the frustration comes from guys. I mean, it's a pixel, it's a hair, whatever you want to call it to the naked eye. Even when I watched the replays without the lines, he was onside. So it's just a matter of, Raul, I think we've talked about this, Alex, you've heard all these conversations. You've made your opinions clear. A lot of the passion gets killed from the game. A lot of the frustration. I mean, we've had weird refereeing decisions going back to, I think the most notable one was in 2008 in the champions league semifinals where a lot of controversial decisions have happened. We've gone past, we've almost overcorrected with VAR now where we need to go look at frame by frame, pixel by pixel and say, let's make sure it's correct. And we're still, still having arguments and still controversial. So it's like, we need to find a happy medium and Raul, I think four or five episodes ago, I said, just take it out and figure out what you want to officiate correctly, figure out what the rules are, write them correctly and say, I mean, write a software, upload a picture into a software and said, let the software make a decision based on a bunch of rules. Cause Alex has made a great point on, you're now adding three other people into the mix, all trying to argue in a room and give their, their perspective. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. You make a good point there that it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I think we were all sort of feeling that it's, you're supposed to simplify the game, get the decision, right. We're still having ridiculous arguments about VAR just as heated if not more heated than the the decisions and the arguments we were having about refereeing decisions before VAR was implemented. So without VAR, after a match, everyone goes on and the losing team blames the referee and slanders every refereeing decision from that game. Now, whoever loses goes and slanders every VAR decision from the game because there is actually oftentimes a case that VAR did not necessarily get it as objectively right as, as they are championing. And I agree with you. It's, it's difficult there. As you said, there's supposed to be an advantage given to the attacker because you're trying to encourage dynamic attacking play. You're not trying to encourage defenders to just sit around and and try to block everyone. There was certainly no advantage giving given to the attacker in that Chilwell case. I mean, even like in this specific case, if you take out the rules of the game, you have a motivated player against his former team coming on as a sub. He's a left back. He makes a blazing run up the field and he scrapes a goal into the net in like some of the dying minutes of an FA cup final after a sketchy goal was given against his team. That should have been like the epitome. I know everyone hates Chelsea, but for an ultimately unbiased fan, that is just as beautiful as the the banger that Tielemann scored. That is football at its best. That is passion. It's the it's the the storylines of the game scoring against your former club. It's the the drama of a late goal. It's everything we love about the sport taken away from us. And it's so easy for a Chelsea fan to say. And after after every single defeat, whoever got robbed by those decisions come out and moan about it, and all the other teams say, "Suck it up, stop crying." And then their their team gets done over by VAR and then they're the ones crying about it. It's, right. it is an actual problem and, and people need to think about it because I was never anti VAR, even to the point of like, some, I, I was never even thinking that we would have to remove any part of it. I was like, whatever it is, what it is, everyone's angry. 
but maybe it takes something like this to change my mind because that was that was brutal yeah and for our listeners out there i mean give us your thoughts to let us how you feel about var about the decisions whether one was right one was wrong i think it's a good way to see what the the crowd is feeling rahul yeah, where do we actually, go sorry go ahead alex well i was just going to say uh, you you mentioned that we had 425 comments on a post after the game i don't know rahul if you want to pull that up if you want to pull up that post um, on my account, we had 425 comments from people. Um, obviously, we were we were trying to get a little into the the upcoming games. This is just a, a big topic. Um, but if you want Rahul, you can read out a couple. One of the the very top one that I pinned said that handball still has me pissed. Of course, we didn't play our best, but VAR just dot 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 clown emoji. I think that really sums a lot up. Rahul, do you have any other uh, any other comments you you singled out as as being interesting to read there? Yeah, I tried to go in and look at it, Alex. There was, like you said, 425. Uh, but some of them, I, someone says we deserve at least one goal. Referee messed our game. Fans were quite all game. And I think that's a point we've got to discuss about fans being back. Tuchel messed up with his tactics. Another point that we've been discussing. We underestimated Leicester. I don't think we did. I think we paid them respect. We played our, our best 11, at least in Tuchel's mind. Um and we controlled them very well. If you think about how Vardy and Ihinacho and Lesser have been playing leading up to this game and just scoring for fun, it really took a wonder strike and one effort on target for them to get the goal. So I don't think we underestimated them. And the, the final comment from that person is, which is I am Imran Fix, actually, that's a username. Top four in UCL is still in our hands, which is true, but we were robbed as well. And I think we've touched on, on the robbed part. Uh, but... Coming to the fans' point, it was good to have fans back. I, I don't know how you guys felt, but it's just a completely different atmosphere when they're there. It was wonderful. Honestly, I think there were 25-odd thousand fans in the stadium can fit 90,000 or whatnot in Wembley. But just to hear voices, even the booze, guys. I mean, every time the referee made a decision or an opposition player would make a rough tackle, the booze were fun to hear. I know we don't like to see negativity, but it's just part of the banter of the game that's always exciting to hear i i thought it was brilliant i hope i can see more of this and slowly as the pandemic wears down see full stadiums again i think it'll be brilliant to, to hear some of these voices yeah one more uh comment ashley fernell said one of these um let's see the uh, rudiger with with two shots for no reason thinks he's a striker now <laughs> i i did notice he He's almost every game he's ripped at least one shot from probably 40 yards and some of them come pretty close. I forget who was it? Was it in, um, was it against Manchester city that he forced a save? Um, or it, it might've been against Courtois, I think yeah, against Madrid. Madrid. Yeah, yeah. Against Courtois. He, so he, he comes close a few times, but that sort of sums it up. Um, how frustrated we were in attack it's sort of like the Werner blasting it when he has players still in front of him, our players failing to lay it off Rudiger blazing shots from 35 yards. It's, it shows you when you're relying on that as just, just hit and hope you're not quite um, in control. And that may be to, to sort of move away from a bit of this controversy we've been discussing. I do think we can moan about VAR all we want. I've said this before, my fundamental philosophy Um I think I, I, I debuted this, this idea the, for the first time when we beat Manchester City in the FA Cup semifinal, is that if you don't score a goal, you have to assume you'll lose. Um, so in this one, maybe it's a little tougher because we did feel that we scored a legitimate goal. But if you don't go out there and score, a, and I will say, unfortunately, in the modern game, a clear-cut goal, 
that cannot be overturned by VAR. If you can't do that, you're not going to win the game and you have to assume something's going to go wrong at the back. Um, you have to assume maybe there's this time Conte shuts off, Jorginho can't close him down and Silva's too far away and we let a wonder strike happen. You, you have to assume every team you play, because they are, is capable of coming up with some moment of brilliance or your defenders, as we've seen with Chelsea in, in a few recent games, are capable of having one moment um, of, of, you know, uh, falling asleep perhaps. So you have to assume you're going to concede one goal pretty much going into every match. I view a clean sheet as a bonus. And with that being said too, people are criticizing Tuchel, maybe rightfully so for some of the tactics in the lineup, but we were also talking, for example, about someone like Christensen who has so many good performances and then he's off for one, one game. You can't judge him on that. For me, it's almost the same with Tuchel in that he's played what high twenties of games for us now. Um, and probably two or three times we've seriously questioned him. So if he's playing, if he goes, it's tough because it's coming at such a crucial point of the season, but sometimes you have to say, maybe Tuchel's not always going to get the lineup right. Maybe he's not always going to get the tactics quite spot on with the quality of players we have out there. You have to back somebody to step up and make something happen because tactics aside, these boys have been playing this game for their entire lives. Someone's got to step up. So, so Alex, you make some really good points here. And I want to bring Rahul in on, on a couple of these points. You, you talked about the loss. And if we don't do something, you assume one nil is going to go in and, and a clean sheet's a bonus. So at the end of the day, there are a few reasons we can lose a game. And, and Rahul, I want you to discuss this for us over here. Why did we lose this game? Was it the team? I mean, they did not do their job on the day. Did Thomas Tuchel get his tactics right? I mean, as some of the comments Alex has been reading out. Or is it VR that interfered with the game? I mean, there's three, two or three really good options here. And then discuss that with us. Yeah, ultimately, I think it comes down to we didn't score a goal. And that's been the issue throughout the this, this season under Tuchel is we don't score enough. We don't take our chances. You said it after the City game. Uh, I believe it was the Madrid game. One of them that we had so many chances and we didn't put it away and we kept the game alive and kept the game alive and eventually we won it. But now we're seeing the opposite problem where other teams are keeping the game alive aided by our us missing the chances and then they're going ahead and, and scoring off of one of our mistakes in the Arsenal game or a wonder goal in this game. And that ultimately that's what it comes down to. No matter who plays, what the system is, what the tactic is, goals win you this game. And if Alex is saying we're going into a game one nil down, then we need to know that at least one chance that we create, we created 13 shots on goal in this game. We didn't even score one goal, which is the, the concerning part. And we have three big games coming, which we need to score goals and win games because yes, we may not concede, but we also need to score and win those games. Yeah, fair point. I don't want to talk about one player, but I'm going to save that player and Daniel Amate for after we have a few comments here. Alex, any closing thoughts on the FA Cup as a whole? I don't think so, but I I hope they come out and they silence a lot of critics, including their own fans on, on Tuesday, because this is a big one. Yeah, we've got our fingers crossed moving into the next few games. Rahul, any closing thoughts before you jump into Daniel Marti and maybe you can lead us into the incident? Uh, no, I think we've covered it pretty well. It was a sad day, a sad result. Uh, one that we've got to take on the chin once again and, and move on because like you guys have said, we have a few big games coming. Uh, but before we go into that, Daniel Amarte, who 
uh, plays for Leicester, and I say play in quotes because he's barely featured for them this season, didn't feature at all in this final, uh, decided that for some reason wanted to disrespect Chelsea, wanted to disrespect the crest, uh, Chelsea's crest, in the locker room while they're celebrating, takes um, the crest that two teams exchange at the beginning of the game, shake hands, the captains. He takes that, puts it in front of him and tosses it over his shoulder, which to me was very disrespectful. Um, do whatever you want in your celebration, but be humble in, in humble in defeat. And, you know, just recognize that the opponent you faced deserves the respect because they put out a, a performance for you to overcome and win a trophy. So for me, that was highly disrespectful. And I've expressed my views very clearly on it on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, but from what I've heard, I think Lester have find him or will be disciplining him. I don't know what it is, but if they haven't, Lester really need to look into it uh, because this doesn't set the right example for kids growing up and, and guys that followed the, the team and, and this player. As, uh, as I believe Drake said, bench players talking like starters, I hate it. That's all I can say. I mean. Very smooth there, Alex. Very smooth. Yeah, it's, oh, wow. I, I, if, I don't want to stoop to his level or else I'd be, I'd be talking about his relevance as a player, his relevance in his career. I'm not going to go there, but I'm just going to say there's no way. I mean, there's just no excuse to do that. And I'm sure it's easy. Oh, social media, whatever. I'm sure players do stupid stuff all the time. In this particular instance, it was live streamed by, I think it was, was it Fafana um, after the match? But so, yeah, whatever. Everyone made their feelings very clear. I was, I was on Twitter. I think one, one comment I actually found very funny was uh, someone on Twitter replied to, to a post he put up congratulating his team on the victory with that video. He said, shame on your family to have borne you, which I, I thought was, was just pretty entertaining, but People were heated about this, and all I can say is it's easy to see why, because that is complete disrespect, especially from a player who, whose contribution was not being used as a substitute. That's all I can say. <laughs> and I, I just want to say that comment on Twitter wasn't from me. <laughs> oh, no, that was a random one I found, but maybe you were feeling those things. No, I, I, I know I get heated, and I sometimes get blocked by some players but this in this case it wasn't me well gentlemen i mean it was an unclassy move but that's all the limelight we need to give to this particular player and we move on from here and sadly i don't think we can bring you any more good news for this particular episode but rahul you've got a bit of information you want to share with us with the chelsea women's champions league final and they lost as well joining the men so why don't you take us through that they did. This rounded off the awful weekend that we've had. I was hoping that this game, the Champions League final in Sweden, would uh, lift the spirits a little bit. But that didn't happen. An own goal in the first minute kind of started the, the things. And then a penalty was given, which really wasn't. But hey, it was a weekend of dodgy decisions from referees and it continued. And then two more goals within 36 minutes of that first half made it 4-0 to Barcelona. Um, and that's really all it took for them. And I mean, I say really, that's, and that was more than enough. Um, Chelsea started their strongest 11, played a system that we're very familiar with. Uh, some of the names that started in attack, Sam Kerr, Fran Kirby, uh, Harder, 
G basically everyone that was fit and ready to go played. Um, right. In hindsight, you can ask the question that they get their selection, right? And I think Emma Hayes played the best team she could. Barcelona just overran us on the wings. Um, and really that's, that's all it was. Charles and uh, Carter on the wings just kept getting drawn all over. And that shows you the quality that these European sides have uh, that you may not always face in your local leagues. Uh, and so it's a, it's a lesson, Jackie and Alex, it's a tough lesson to take, but one that the team and the squad will learn from and come back. Uh, just to touch on Barcelona real quick, 128 goals scored in the league this season. So twice as many as Chelsea, and they only conceded five. So if Chelsea were to overturn this, they would have taken a massive, massive effort, and they tried everything they could in the second half. Yeah, and barring the the poor start role, I think what's most disappointing, and, and take nothing away from the season they've had so far, it's been incredible. I mean, every week we come on here and discuss the women, and every week it's thrashing other teams, coming back from 1-0 down to win 3-1, 4-1. I mean... They have a solid squad. I think what's most disappointing is the nature of how they were overrun. It's always difficult to lose a final. We just talked about the men's. It's difficult for the women to lose the final. But I think when you're thumped 5-nail in the final, 4-nail or whatever it was, I forget now, it's just difficult to to take it in that manner. And I'm sure it hurt. But what I can say in the positivity about it was the outpouring of support from the Chelsea community. I mean, I even saw Michael Essien posting things about the women's team and how proud he is to be associated with them and how much they've done this season, take nothing away from them. And Raul, I think Roman Abramovich was sitting in the stadium as well. Yeah, he was there. He went to watch the game in person and it was good to see him. He was sitting a few seats away from the UEFA president. Uh, So I saw a couple of funny tweets. Some guys were like, don't worry guys, the men's final is sorted uh, because Roman was there next to him. But to jokes, jokes apart, I think, his support and his investment and intentions for this club were very clear from him being at the women's final. Uh, Unfortunately, it didn't go the way we wanted it to, but I'm sure he'll go to Emma Hayes and say, what do you need for next year? Because I want to get that trophy. Yeah, for sure. But real quickly, now we move on to the Premier League preview. And in quick succession, guys, we're playing Leicester again. So Alex, do we need to be worried about this one? need to start Ben Chilwell. We need to start <laughs> Christian Pulisic. We need to start Kai Havertz and Mason Mount. We probably want to throw in Kovacic, and if he's winded, pull him off because he was so, so good for us. And it is easy to remember, we're playing without someone who, at least before Conte dropped his absolute master classes, was our best midfielder of the season, probably, right. um, when he was just putting in performance after performance. And then Conte and Jorginho obviously have really stepped up since his injury they've been putting in great performances marred by the very occasional error um but i mean for me this is there is no excuse to not start captain america um and no excuse to not start ben Chilwell because you have i mean they just they they clearly they were two players not everyone not everyone uh, against lester in the fa cup went out and looked like they they were 100 percent there and 100 percent wanted it for for what it can be said, obviously coming off the bench helps that perhaps with the new energy, but Christian Pulisic and Ben Chilwell clearly wanted it. Um, and that's all I can say. If they if they start that game, I think we can do it. This is a huge six-pointer. Leicester sitting in third with 66 points, Chelsea in fourth with 64 points, and I'm going to throw in Liverpool's name here in fifth with 63 points. So it's a huge game, six-pointer, like I said. 
if we win this game, it really does give us the upper hand for the last couple of games and gives us a little bit of breathing room. If we lose this game and Liverpool win theirs, it's literally all to play for and they can lose it, but it makes it very, very difficult. We've done a lot of analysis based on the FA Cup. Rahul, why don't you just give us a predicted starting eleven? Alex has thrown out some great names already, but go through it. I think Mendy comes back in goal. Uh, Aspilicueta, Thiago Silva, Rudiger. I'm not sure if Christensen is fit again, so uh, those three would be the preferred uh, back three. It would be interesting to see if he does switch Reese and Aspie again, or he just leaves Aspie in the three. I think Reese James on uh, as the right wing back. Kovacic, if he's ready to go, like Alex said, Conte has to play. Uh, ben Chilwell has to play as well. And then I think Mount, Pulisic, and Havertz have to complete the attacking trio. Yeah, I mean, those are the names Alex was throwing out there. And guys, I 100% agree with this starting 11. I think based on what they've done in recent weeks and based on the previous performance, I think this team, fingers crossed, can go out there and get the results, especially seeing how much possession and chances we had in the FA Cup. But Alex, before we move on, just a quick scoreline prediction from you. Maybe it's a, a risky one to give today. <laughs> Oh boy. I mean, if we play better than we did, we had what we had six, was it 16 shots or 13 shots? I think we had 13 shots, didn't score a goal. I mean, Lester had six shots, one goal. If six shots gets you a goal, (laughs) we could, we could rip 18 shots and beat them three nil, but Chelsea have not been converting lately. So I'm hesitant. Um, but I'm going to go for a 2-0 win for Chelsea because I think, and I will be very disappointed, but I think that that the boys want to come back after this one. And I think hopefully they have seen that video of Amarte, our friend, throwing the crest. They've seen, they've, they've now watched Leicester lift the FA Cup. I'm hoping that they are uh, charged up enough to at least secure this win. Usually on this podcast, Alex, you're the most confident one. So when you're reserved and a little bit worried, I'm I'm concerned more than usual. So Rahul, <laughs> your thoughts, sir? Listen, guys, this <laughs> I, I don't even know how to predict this because we're winless against them in the last six Premier League games. Leicester, I mean, we've drawn four and lost two. Uh, Leicester are looking to complete their first league double over Chelsea since 2001. And we know how that went against Arsenal. And the final piece before I give my prediction is we won just two of our seven midweek fixtures this season. So it's not looking good for us going into this game, but we're coming off of a defeat against the exact same team. We've spoken about what Danny Lamarte has done. And the other key thing is fans will be back for this game. Uh, So that should drive us and that should see us get over the line. So I am going to go for a 1-0. Okay. Also going for a win. I would like to go for a win, but I'm just a little bit scarred after a few things here, guys. I'm going to go for a 1-1. That does put us in some dodgy water here, but I'd rather go for a 1-1, be a little conservative, and then see us win and get a lot more excited. But that's what I'm going for. And that's concerning because if we... Basically, we just have to win our next two Premier League games and... If we don't, then Liverpool should, who have the momentum, beat Manchester United. And unfortunately, we've got to say they've found some miraculous way for Allison to score a goal to win them a game against West Brom. So now they're a point behind, like you said. And I think they've got everything going for them now, like we had a few months ago. So 
if we drop points, I think that's it on on the uh, Champions League for next season, unless we win it. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Instagram. And in fact, someone had reached out to me asking about Twitter. So on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, so please make that note. Uh, and Alex is at PulsicFC22. Uh, but in the meantime, send us your feedback. As always, uh, we'll be back later this week to do a Leicester review and Aston Villa preview. But until then, keep those fingers crossed. Pray to all the gods out there. Stay safe and up the chills. <laughs>